Welcome everybody to the Evolution Exchange NHS podcast. At Evolution, we are committed to helping people and NHS organisations realise their potential. Our goal is to develop deep relationships with individuals, building trust to make doing business easier. We collaborate with NHS organisations to help them build high-performing digital teams. We achieve this by curating and sharing insights into the ever-evolving NHS and digital industry best practice such as this podcast that we're running this afternoon. My name is Emma and today I'm your host. Um, Today on the panel, we have four NHS leaders from Yorkshire and the North East region. Um, We have Kuldi, Mark, David and Adam. Um, Before we move into the intros, I'd just like to add that the views expressed by the guests are their own and do not necessarily reflect the official position or policy of their organisation. So we'll just kick things off with some some intros. So Kuldi, I'm going to come to you first. Hi there, my name's Kuldip. I'm the Continuous Improvement Lead at a Leeds and York Partnership Trust, um, which is a mental health trust. And I'm Mark Taylor. Perfect, thank you. Uh, I'm Mark Taylor, I'm the Head of Innovation at South Tyneside and Sutherland NHS Foundation Trust, um, which is an acute trust based in the northeast of England. Uh, I'm David Napier, I'm Complaints and Feedback Manager at Umber Teaching NHS Foundation Trust, uh, which is Mental Health, Learning Disabilities and Community Nursing Trust that covers Hull and East Riding. And I'm Adam Charlton, I'm the Digital Transformation Relationship Manager for Gateshead Health NHS Trust. Good stuff, thank you everybody. Um, and I think we'll just we'll just dive straight into the questions. So, um, question number one, uh, why is it important to enhance enhance patient experience within the NHS? So, Kuldeep, we're going to come round to you first on this one, please. Um, you can be quite succinct and give it a, the, the actual TED Talk answer, can't you? Because... Um, why is it important to enhance patient experience? Well, it's because what we do. This is what we do, isn't it? This is what it's all about. I mean, I've worked in an industry where you have customers, so everybody says the customer is 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 key and important because there's a bottom line, there's a financial link. Here, the patient experience is our, it's all we have, and that's all we deliver. So yeah, so I think it's why would we not? say it's important thanks mark have you got any kind of thoughts on on this yeah i suppose from from our side of things obviously i, I agree with uh what Cody was saying there and i think um some of the enhancing of patient experience sort of uh you know when you when you boil down it has better outcomes for patients so some of the projects and stuff that we work on within um stsft you know where you're looking at people who are in recovery you know post-surgery post-op for example um, and creating a community so they know that they're not the only ones out there um, suffering from what they're, they're doing or, you know, they're going through the same trials and tribulations. And that helps to create a sense of community. And, and we've got a few where we're sort of engaging patients to obviously um, express these sort of interests and meet together and learn from each other. But also, I think we'll look at a few things from, from hospitals as well and some of the projects that, that we're involved in. You know, patients are never always coming to hospital for a negative reason. So, you know, everyone thinks that they're coming in ill. So, so we've, we've been working, obviously, with some of our maternity team as well, you know, and some of these patients are coming in for a positive uh, experience, you know, they're, they're having their, their child and leaving. And we're looking at trying to solve, uh, enhance the experience of that. So, you know, make make the wards a little bit less clinical. So, you know, you not feel as if you're going in for an operation, um, but also being mindful of all the, all the service users in there. So you might see we've, we've shared a few things like the mural, working with some of the university um help design that to leave but also you know you've got people who are long term so we work with the physios you know um in ha- increasing patient experience in some of their rehab work you know makes them more engaged and helps them get better outcomes on that side of things 
and that that's come really from the patient's needs so so we as a trust sort of listen to the patients who've been through this put forward some ideas so so like the maternity one came from the maternity voices partnership um, and some of the ones were with our topic team which is the care of the elderly and some of them who are in, in stays or inpatients for a very long time you know have sort of identified some things where they could improve their patient experience while staying at hospital thanks mark um david will come around to you next Thanks, Emma. So I'm going to have a, a similarly succinct answer to call it, which is uh, that it, it is exactly right. But I mean, the patient is why we're all here, basically. Um, and and ultimately, it, the question is, why is it important to enhance patient experience? And, and for me, enhancing patient experience is enhancing the relationship between the patient and ourselves as care providers. Um, and that will, as Mark said, essentially lead to better outcomes for patients uh, across the board. If, if patients are not just patients, but also, I mean, we, we incorporate that, you know, families and carers are a key part of that. If everybody feels that he feels able to speak openly and honestly, trusted to make their own decisions during the care and treatment process, um, then the outcome is going to be better all around. And also, as Mark touched on, the idea of, of being part of a community, feeling closer to a community which is going through uh, some of the same things as you might be. Um, everybody kind of having group forums in which to, to sort of to discuss and be open about what they need and then and then being able to see how that, that discussion has affected the business of the organization is also a, a key part of it um, and if people can see that and if we're open and transparent about that then um, then it uplifts everybody and not just patients but all stakeholders involved um, staff benefit from it all partners across the patch benefit from it um, and health populations as a whole thank you david and then adam round to you to, to round this one off yeah i mean be quite easy for us to just to say I agree with everything everyone <laughs> says. Um, so, and um, I do agree. We are here for the patient, um, and ultimately we are providing a service. So you want that service to be as good as it possibly can, because uh, as Mark says, it does impact on the outcomes that those patients have. Um, and I suppose linking onto how it affects the hospital, poor experience, whether that's just you know a delay waiting for a letter or something actually clinically go wrong can affect the reputation, affect the, you know, the choices the patients make, um, as well as the patient's outcomes, which can then, if we, if we do talk about the bottom line, can affect the bottom line in terms of activity, the hospital sees and reputation in the press and all those things. So there's, I suppose it's very wide reaching how a patient's experience of the service can sort of impact both the patient themselves and the wider healthcare system. Perfectly, thank you for that, Adam. Has anyone got anything, Cole? Did you want to add to that? Yeah, I just want. I mean, it's 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 very it's very good, and it's very easy sometimes to say and to stay focused in what you're doing. Um, we we find, especially in mental health, that the wrap around the bigger system, you know, you've got to consider everything else. We can provide a, an absolute stellar service for an individual, but the minute they leave us, if everything else is falling apart around them then it's not and we've got to consider that especially when you're discharging and again in the in the in the in the realms of mental health more so that fam family and larger care network has to really be involved um but yeah so you know you, you can do an absolutely brilliant job enhancing the experience of when they come to us it's brilliant when they leave us, it's great. They leave us in the best position. But if they're not coming to us at the right time and they're leaving to us, they're leaving us in into a, a state of chaos again. We, we, we've 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 done everything for nothing, don't we? Really? Oh, no, thank you. Anyone else want to add any kind of like last bits to that 
Good stuff. All right. Well, um, nice, nice, easy one to start off with, I think. So we'll move into some more of the juicy questions now. Um, so second question is, how do you make sure some of the projects, innovations and changes you implement have the desired outcomes for those they impact? So Mark, we'll, we'll start with you for this one. Yeah. So I suppose uh, from our side of things, um, as an innovation department, we're linked really closely with our research department as well. So we're, we're R&I, so obviously one of the easy answers is, you know, you look at your research projects and your white papers and you make sure that, the, you know, the, the actual innovation or change that you've done has been evaluated properly, robustly and has the desired outcomes for the patients. Um, but I do think that there's also a lot of qualitative work around that as well. So obviously you'll see a lot of the, you know, like the pharma trials, they'll, they'll boil down to, you know, is this better than the placebo, what's currently on the market? And they can do that with a lot of data. But I think what you're sort of looking at um, when in some of the projects that we're working on is that there's a direct patient impact, something that you can't quantify with sort of numbers. So what we do is we obviously use a lot of uh, you know questionnaire methods, the call the feedback, continually having patients in the feedback loop, um, and that can come through sort of things like audits or service improvements or real world evaluations as we do like post market research where you know you've done you've done something and it's been deployed and it's it's often the outside world and being run as day-to-day practice but actually make sure you stop and have them conversations with the patients who it's impacting um, and also having the buy-in of the patients from the offset so obviously you're looking at the desired outcomes um, and how you've got to that sort of me- measurement or metric that you want I suppose so from our point of view it's including a lot of what we call PPIE so patient and public involvement and engagement so using your patients to help sort of mould the ideas or the questions that you want to do and why you're doing it. And as we've touched upon previously, you know, using the patients to identify a problem and then going back to them with the evidence to say, has it actually solved your problem that you've got? So, for example, we um, worked with a local artist um, to develop a game because some of the patients who were in the care of the elderly ward were saying that the physio was quite, um, you know, they were, they were in bed and they, they weren't as interactive as what they were doing. So we worked with them and developed a game to help, hopefully try to like sort of make the physios and the exercises that we're doing a bit more engaging. And the great team who were on the ward there were obviously continually changing what they were doing, getting the feedback. So when we finally got to the end for something that is being commercialised and put out there, you know, patients were there on the whole pathway. And then before you, you know, pull the trigger and say it's been a really good project and we should go commercialise it, going back to them and making sure that what you set out for, um, has been done. Perfect. Thank you very much, Mark. Um, David, round to you. Well, again, Mark touched on on the, the thrust of what I was going to say, which is really that sustainability is key. Um, and that's basically from for all stages of the project, from from start to finish. Um, a, part, a, a really key part of that, in my experience, is, is making sure that we regularly ask all the people involved, um, both sort of during the implementation phase, but also then after a project's still been going, is this still right? Are we still doing the right thing? Because you may sort of forecast that something is going to work long term and then, uh, you know, a year might come around and something huge and uh, kind of um, massively impactful might have occurred, which has changed everything. I'm not going to refer to any specific examples from the last three years uh, in the NHS. But, um, and then all of a sudden, your five-year forward plan is in tatters. So it is... Uh, but that's really a, a instructive, I think, in terms of learning how to do the continuous improvement processes. For, but I mean, the, this is something that I think can apply to just about everybody, really. It's uh, patients, staff, um, external partners, everybody across the patch. 
Um, we just got to keep asking the question, are we still doing the right thing? Um, does does the, the original plan still apply or have your needs changed and what can we do to change it? Um, and related to that, just making sure that we're asking everybody who, who is involved for their view at each point in a sustainable way um, so that everybody's been considered and we're not, we're not coming back to the drawing board a year later. But sustainability is the way that we have the desired outcomes long term. Thanks, David. Um, Adam, on to you. Yes. So I suppose this question is something like my team get asked a lot. So my team managing the project management function for, for digital, like Gates said, it is in our actually a purpose of our job to make sure that um, the projects achieve the, the outcomes for those at the impact. So I suppose in the past, we, we've had a lot of examples of almost where we're doing things to, to the clinical staff or or um, even to the patients, you know, not necessarily giving them the choice. And that's something we've been actively working to get against for quite a while. But now we like to involve them, involve the, the stakeholders early doors, really get them involved, get them to take part in the the design work or the, the choices of what, whatever the solution might be. Um, which, I mean, for, for most of what we do, it would be clinicians, but um, as technology progresses, it is more and more patient, direct patient facing. So um, we are looking at that as well. So yeah, it, it is difficult, but I agree with it needs to be sustainable and checked cons- consistently. Perfect. Thank you very much, Adam. And then Kuldeep. Going forth is always the... You, you, I agree with absolutely everything that's just been said, and it's all about um, being patient, you know, having the, having the time. Because we, we've done some work with um, food charts, and we did some work with therapeutic mealtime, how to make the mealtime experience much more therapeutic so people would attend and sit together and eat. But at the same time, it's part of therapy. So the staff in there were delivering therapy. And the range of stakeholders we really had to engage with was huge, from catering staff to infection control, for example. We were, we wanted to make the, the restaurant much nicer, so we put tablecloths down, but we have to run that by infection control. With it being mental health, we had issues around the curtains and the suppliers of curtains and the length of the curtains and the length of the... And all these things that we just didn't consider. And you really got to chuck your time in at the beginning to say, exactly who will be affected and then also to have the patients to test go away and test again and test again because you may think you've got the perfect we we got to incarnation number four of the food chart and we thought this is perfect this is absolutely brilliant staff love it uh, dietitians think it's great but actually the dementia staff thought well actually no we need to do this bit more you need more visuals so we changed it again and we ended up at version eight but version 8 had gone through eight cycles of testing, but every single person involved agreed and said, this is this is the, this is is the fine, this is brilliant. When that goes to implementation, which is in now, we're currently doing like audit to see how it's getting on. Everybody's invested and everybody was happy with it, happy with the end product. Yeah. But also we then had to consider these things are used in, in court. These things are brought up as evidence. So do they fulfill that as well? And you've really got to invest your time into thinking who, even if it's tenuous, is involved in this process. From the person who puts the food on the plate to the person who clears the plate, every single person had to be consulted and involved. And and exactly as David said, you go back because everybody starts with this brilliant enthusiasm 
they see a, a glimmer of an outcome and that becomes the focus. Now in continuous improvement, that's not the solution. The solution will be when you get there, yeah, that will be your solution. And it's to go back in six months and say, is it all there? And if it isn't all there, then you've missed something at the beginning. It's not because something's happened along the way. Yeah. And yeah, so to, to, to deliver the desired outcomes, invest the time at the beginning. Don't become solution focused. Thanks. Um, anyone want to add anything to, to that one before we move on? David? Yeah, just on the back of what Corley said about kind of making sure you pay attention to the small details within some of these larger projects. I think that's, that is the interesting sort of um, paradox, if you like, that we do have to sort of take into account because as large organizations, we have to consider the overarching processes and the way that things work sustainably for everybody. Um, and in actual fact, if you've worked, if you've sort of been exposed to patient feedback for any length of time, um, you, you find out very quickly that little things mean a lot and people notice the small touches and the, the personal changes and the reasonable adjustments that are made for them. Um, and it's about both making sure that those larger processes account for that and then also that we've got uh, enough capacity to pay attention to those small things and to make sure that they are accounted for. Um, so it's making sure that large and small both matter. Thanks, David. Mark? Yeah, and, and to echo with, with a lot of the stuff, obviously we're talking about a lot of the, the positive projects, you know, that have been have worked and, and, you know, we've got to an end solution. But I think we've probably all been around the um, NHS in some way or another to have seen some of the bigger projects or some companies who have come to you with an idea or said, you know, we've looked at it and we think this works. And, um, you know, in my background of research, there's been some very interesting um, projects that didn't go forward just because they didn't think about how it, how it fits into a patient life or patient experience. Why are they not using the device that we've given them that, you know, they've got to do X and Y because we think it solves this problem. So I think it goes, you know, even if you are internal and external at NHS, but you all want to get in the healthcare market, thinking of the desired outcomes for the patients and actually their journey is massive. And I think that works across all sectors in healthcare to, you know, um, there's, there's, a, there's a few that come to mind, you know, you think, you look at it on paper and think, that's a fantastic product. But then when you got the feedback, you think, they should they should have probably asked them to ask that. Can they use it for eight hours a day? Can they use it for two hours? You know, or do they have access to digital resources? Do you know, we're not here to sort of exacerbate health inequalities with some of the outcomes, but, you know, there's been a big drive on digital lately. And, you know, you've got to think that sort of stuff. Do, does everyone have access to that? Thanks, Mark. All deep. Um, it's very pertinent as well, Mark, in the in in the field of mental health as well, isn't it? Um, because black and white is not black and white, and you know people with different perceptions, autism, people on the spectrum, it's all different how they perceive, and you have to consider everything. You can colour something red, but people have the aversion to red, and you know you you need more visuals. People with learning difficulties and social issues engage with uh, IT so much better and prefer virtual appointments and things like that. And you've got to really widen your sphere of thinking, haven't you? God. All right. Thank you, Kuldeep. Um, we'll move on to, to question number three now. Um, so that is, how do you include patients, the public and stakeholders in the projects, which would directly impact them? So, David, do you want to kick things off with this one? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I know in a, a previous role, I did, I did work with community groups who did some amazing work around uh, patient outreach and sort of meeting people where they live and engaging directly with people and communities to gain feedback. Um, and we sort of, it really demonstrated for me the importance of, of offering choice to people 
and always making sure we sort of offer reasonable adjustments and that we are well equipped to do that. Um, I think that's actually really the problem, maybe the most important point, because a lot of times we can we can go in with with reasonably good intentions, but if the if the infrastructure and the preparation hasn't been done to the right standard, and then we make promises which we can't keep to patients, um, usually the outcomes are are much more negative and the feedback uh, equally so. Um, so it's it's uh, the preparation is key. Um, in terms of digital, I really think that it's, it's as uh, called Eaps touched on, I think got a lot to offer patients with, say, mobility problems, neurodiverse patients or people with conditions such as social anxiety, people who, um, if they can engage digitally, they find they can really control the environment uh, to their liking and they can work with caregivers to do that, um, which is which then makes them feel more able to contribute in the first place um, because we've made those adjustments for them. Um, and so as much as possible as we can we can manage uh, in terms of the in terms of the digital offer uh, as far as we can expand that as far as we can understand the specific needs of patient cohorts can only be a good thing thanks david adam round to you um so i suppose including patients in the public um so we have a raft of different projects that that was the effect of patients and um, what we've started to look at is actually including them on our governance boards to so that they're involved in the decision making as well and um, i mean that's still very sort of early days trying to get you know the right patient representatives and also the right public representatives on those boards and um, so that they have a voice of you know yes we're, we're talking about a solution that meets all the clinicians needs but actually does that meet the patient's needs as well and um, that's something we're, we're actively working on at the moment and we'll hopefully um, improve a lot of the solutions that we produce. Good, thank you, Adam. Um, Cody, I think it's very important to consider things the the, the key factors of the ta- the method of um, the method of inclusion, whether it's a survey, it's a phone call, it's a chat, yeah, uh, and then it's also the timings. Whether you ask somebody straight away, whether you ask somebody after a week, whether you ask them after they've been discharged, whether you know you've got to take all these factors into consideration because inclusion inclusion is is very much dependent on how you approach it. So somebody may be very happy to fill out a written survey, but not a week after, maybe two weeks after. Uh, and also the the network, the network of support. So obviously with us carers and family, you know, they they almost become the first port of call. You know, you 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 kind of you what you value what they've got to say, respite carers, etc., one to one workers. So consider the timing, the method, and the network. Um, and then you can get it because otherwise, you know, you can't ask. You can't be like IKEA, ask everybody to press a button on the way out. It doesn't work like that, unfortunately. Thanks, Cody. Mark, round to you. Yeah, so obviously, yeah, it's going forth, isn't it? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I think, uh, yeah, a lot of the stuff that we do um, has obviously been touched upon, you know, getting um, patient groups, you know, getting feedback, um, trying to get patient ambassadors, uh, you know, people who champion. So we've started having like sort of research and innovation champions. Um, and that side of things for them to give their feedback. Um, but also as a trust, we've um, invited some of them patient groups in to give their feedback on walkarounds, you know, to say what, what what their personal experience has been. So do you know what where they think they could have um imp- we could have improved? Is there any areas for projects that we could try to deploy? Is there any, do you know, quick wins where, you know, they felt this should have been sorted? And, you know, for us it might not have seemed like a big problem, but for them you know, as people have said um, there, that sometimes the little things do make a real big difference um, in patient care and patient stays. Um, but also as well, one of the stakeholders that I think we've, we've obviously mentioned a lot on patient experience as well is uh, involving some of the staff. 
So obviously we've got a good network and uh, framework within the northeast and North Cumbria where um, all the innovation leads discussed. So we'll get peer reviews and you know some ideas on the confidentiality agreement to get some of the um, counterparts from the other trusts to review it because uh, just as every patient's different, as we've said, um, sometimes every trust's different. So if you know what we perceive as a problem at our trust, someone else might have perceived as a problem two or three years ago and solved it with a quick solution. Or they've tried, they they, they, they failed, and this is why they've done it. Um, and then it's getting them learning and bringing it in. To, you know, did they have a problem where they came up against certain barriers? Was things too cost costly? You know, or was it a quick fix? And here you go, this is what we've done, and this is all the research. And I think, uh, you know, we're trying to obviously do a lot of sharing and stop that not made in here syndrome. Do you know where you see a lot of things um, do really great in research and then struggle to break that adoption? I think in the northeast of North Cumbria, we're, we're sharing a lot of the, the practice and what are adopting a lot from other trusts. And, you know, uh, if it works another one, it might work in here. But then feeding back on why it didn't. Thanks, Mark. Um, has anyone got any kind of initial thoughts to that one before we move on to the final question? No, just that generally speaking, something that works somewhere else don't always think it will work ours but 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 do always think it can work ours with tweaks yeah <clears throat> no thank you for that um so i suppose the final question has got like a slightly different kind of um you know theme to it so i think it's probably quite a nice one to, to finish off on um so final question is how do you use data to improve the patient experience and how do we bridge the gap of data and experience without losing the personal touch? Um, so Adam, we'll get you to kick things off on this one. Um, so there's probably a few ways you could look at this. I mean, in terms of using data to improve the patient experience, from, from my sort of perspective, digital technologies, there's, um, I think we've already touched on it in a couple of questions, but things like health population management, different services you can offer, so patients who necess- who may want different ways to interact with the the hospital or um, care provider or you know want better access to information or something like that so we can use data in that way to to connect them to services to give them access to their own information and um, but also using the 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 data that we've recorded while they are in hospital to see the sort of conditions and needs that they have to maybe just curate services to offer them it um a different way of interacting with the trust or, or maybe services that meet their needs that aren't currently offered um, and also how to use that data to adjust our practice in the trust as well so our outcomes particularly poor in a certain area or particularly good in another area what could be learned from one to um, improve the other um, and, and again surveys and that we give to patients or so friends and family at Gateshead are there any recommendations and things that we can, or data that we can learn from there to to improve services or technologies or wh- whatever it is to, to, to gather what the patients actually need rather than what we think they need and maybe just miss the mark on. Thanks, Adam. Um, Cole, do you come round to you next? Um, <clears throat> I was hoping to be fourth on this so I can get some suggestions from you doing this. I think it's right, it's, it's when a lot of your data and a lot of your feedback uh, is of the verbal nature and, and text. You've got to be really sat, you've got to be really mindful of the fact that people don't focus on isolated incidents and say yes they would say that because dot dot dot. Yeah, you've got to have sufficient data gathered and mean means of gathering it. We can actually cumulatively then say 
65% of the people we surveyed said X. Yeah. They all raised this word. And you do thematic analysis on text to find the word, you know, uh, slow, delayed, and say, well, everybody's saying that. Why is that? And move away from the focus of it being quite defensive and people focusing on single um, complaints, issues, experiences. To put that into numbers is quite difficult, but you need to graph it. People respond to graphs. People respond to pie charts. Um, and I think the most successful way, because I, 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 my background is not NHS, it's manufacturing where the numbers, the graphs were really the key and the, and the experiences and the words were not. And it's flipped, flipped a little bit on its head now where we've got a lot more words and experience and less numbers and data. And But I think we need to find some sort of middle ground where you can graphically represent what people are saying because what people are saying is more important to the NHS than the graphs. So, yeah, I was hoping some ideas how we can... How, how, do, you, how do you stop that? How do you stop... Because I've seen it where people say the service was absolutely terrible, but I'll mark you five out of five. Which is it then? Yeah, and that was my um, dilemma. Thanks, Goldie. So, Mark, over to you now to, to provide some some answers, <laughs> some insight. <laughs> yeah, I don't know whether I can uh, provide all the answers that Goldie's on after, but uh, it, I think it has in highlighted some interesting areas um i think from our side of things obviously the the half of the question where you know you have to, after about data to improve sort of uh, patient experience and patient outcomes um you can use the data in sort of two ways that we've had a look at it so obviously the nhs is going to have a big repository of of data you know i, I know there's going to be a lot of verbal feedback and i think with the move towards digitalization and you know there's a lot of talks nationally about things like virtual wards within you know you can discharge and they're going to be remotely monitored if they, you know, hit certain criteria and you can watch them. That's just going to generate a massive cohort of data and probably too much to actually go through yourself. So I think sometimes it's working with some partners who can. So we've got some um, links with the regional universities and we're working on two projects, but they're mainly staff facing because I think, you know, um, they've got lots of data and they've proved that there's a a bottleneck in certain areas or do you know they've, they've got lots of data from a research project and they've realized that that can be used in a different way to help so like try to build some algorithms or um automate some of the problems that they're getting and then in turn that'll feedback to help them speed things along um, so there is that aspect of all the data we have but then there's also looking at uh, trends across data so i know one of the big discussion points and it has been for a while is uh, dnas so did not attend so, you know, you can you could now sort of data mine that area, you know, overview all the DNAs, see if there's common themes on why people aren't attending. You know, as people said, they they, they interact with some of the information differently. Is it a letter? Do you know, do, do people want that? Do they want a phone call? How can you actually encourage these people to come in and, and improve their patient their outcomes and, and their health outcomes? Um but as well as sort of like bridging the gap between data and experience without losing the personal touch, um, I think that's obviously what we're talking about in terms of health inequalities as well. You know, you've got to make sure that some of the stuff that you are deploying can can do that. Because when you're thinking, you know, if you do if you deploy something and it helps eighty percent of all the people, and you deploy five or six projects that always help that eighty percent, what happens to that twenty percent? That twenty percent are getting left behind. So I think it's always being mindful that no matter what solution you're starting to deploy digital data and analytic 
gigs, there's always a personal touch to that and you're not leaving people behind. And I do think a lot of the NHS staff that at least I've worked with uh, are, are, you know, in it for the right reasons and they would hate to think that that's sort of happened and they've all got that personable touch. And I think they'll be very quick to feedback if it would impact one of their um, patients negatively. So do sort of take all that on board. Um, and then I suppose it's the chance of involving the patients as we've talked about throughout the whole uh, podcast, you know, if we're deploying stuff and we're using data and experience, get their feedback. Do you know, will they use that solution? You know, do they think it's fine for, for an algorithm to be doing certain things? You know, I'm sure they had that question, do you know, when robotic surgery came in, do you know, when you ask people, do you know, um, would you want the robot, the, like the Da Vinci robots to, to operate on you or would you rather a surgeon? But then sometimes that's just a little bit of um, knowledge and, you know, training and, and upskilling the patients to understand that the robot doesn't do it itself. There's actually someone behind there operating, operating it. So once they sort of understand how you're using their, their data, how you're using the data as a whole, they might become, you know, warm to it a lot more and it just becomes standard practice. Sorry, that's a little bit of a long, long answer. But... It's a long question, so <laughs> thanks, Mark. And then David, round to you. <clears throat> thanks, Trevor. So I, I also don't know how we'd make graphs out of what people are saying at the moment. If anyone does find out, please, please let me know. <laughs> Um, but what what I would say is in, in terms of the process of actually moving further towards that point, um, I mean, my feeling is that, I mean, the, the whole world is now data driven to a significant enough degree and the NHS just has to move in line with the way that that works. And, and d data really is that one of the key drivers of continuous improvement and sort of make, looking at our capacity and demand and the changing needs in population health. And and I think really the, the, the one thing that, that we, we really, that all organisations need to sort of figure, but particularly the NHS, um, we need to be joining up and analysing and triangulating as many of our different data sources from across divisions and specialties as we can to solve problems. And also with other organisations and data sources, external data sources, wherever we can do this as well. Um, because I think I think organisations tend to sort of collect a lot of data and sometimes not necessarily know what they're sitting on. Um, in terms of how when, once you join two things up and you reveal something that you, you couldn't possibly have known before that. Um, and again, we've, we've touched on this already, but the idea that data isn't just numbers, it, uh, stories are data as well. And they also work alongside numbers to build a much broader picture of the patient journey. That can be done in a very personalized way, or it can reveal very surprising, significant trends within an organization. Um, you know, if, if, uh, if nursing directorates work with HR directorates and operational directorates to look at, at figures that across dashboards and, and understand how these things link together, um, underpinned by what patients are saying about their experience of a service. You know, are we, is there really a practical reason for a lot of this stuff? Um, surprising things may emerge and that, that requires building a joined up data culture. Um, and again, uh, d different organizations will be in different places with this, but I think it's, uh, but there's, there's never too much you can do. Um, and I think if everybody keeps moving that way, then we're probably going to get further towards, uh, call the utopia where these graphs exist, where, uh, <laughs> opinions are somehow uh, sort of empirically represented um just and just to quickly say my my two pence about the bridging the gap with team data and experience without losing the personal touch my again my, my overriding feeling is to make sure that we use we we consider data as a support tool that helps organizations to make decisions and that helps caregivers do their job and make sure that it isn't leading everything that we do in that kind of uh direction or strategic sense make sure the tail isn't wagging the dog make sure it underpins uh, the work rather than pushes it forward. Perfect. Thank you very much, David. Has anyone got any kind of like final thoughts on this one before we wrap things up? Um, no, just that I've got a friend who works for Northern Rail and they have very similar um, 
customer feedback and they have um, an elaborate scoring system based on words, which which keywords jump out. So um, I might have a look at that. However, they do tend to just focus on the negative and not the positive. I know there are some providers that do use a thematic analysis software now. I think it's still a field that's very much in its infancy um, in terms of what it can actually achieve. Um, but although they, uh, they've made a good start as far as I can tell. Um, so that, again, it, it seems to, to be one of those fields that will only get bigger and develop as time goes on, especially, and again, in line with how the use of AI is increasing across society as well. Perfect. Okay. All right. Well, before we kind of end the podcast, just want to say like a massive thank you to everybody for kind of taking the time out. It's been really kind of interesting to listen to your thoughts and, and insights. Um, definitely think this is an in, interesting topic that a lot of people will kind of find useful and to listen to once that once the podcast is live. I've had quite a bit of interest on it on, on LinkedIn. So um, looking forward to getting it published. Um, once again, um, on today's podcast, guests have been called Mark, David and Adam. Um, if you're hiring for any technical role or looking for any role yourself, please feel free to get in touch with us at Evolution. Or if you know anyone that would like to get involved in a future podcast, um, you can drop me a message too. Um, we've got all my um, details. You can find me on LinkedIn uh, as well. Um, just again, thank you. And hopefully everyone enjoys listening.